You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. Uh, so we, we have been in this series, though, for a little bit, and I know we had to take a break. And so we uh, are picking back up. We're a little bit out of sync, out of rhythm. And uh, if you haven't been here, you can uh, go back and uh, catch these series um, on the YouTube channel or the podcast. This book is the longest book that the Apostle Paul writes. It will not be the longest series I ever teach. Just, just we'll, we'll just say that. But it is the longest letter that the Apostle Paul writes. It may take us the longest, um, but that's because we've had some interruptions with the holidays and everything else getting through. But we don't want to cheat it. We want to walk through it methodically. And the Word of God is, is powerful. And uh, I've witnessed this in my own life, as I know you have as well. You can start reading and you have to set it down. When you come back, you pick it back up and uh, get right back into there. And the Word of God will just feed you. It'll bless you. It'll build you up. And I think there's a powerful uh, practice when you... <clears throat> Take the Word of God and you begin to methodically, verse by verse, go through it, examine it, let it uh, affect your life and your heart. It'll do something that uh, that uh, just uh, randomly reading Scripture won't do. And so, now the Word of God is powerful, so don't misunderstand me. You can come to church, and we come to church Sunday, we come to church midweek, and there's going to be a word spoken, there's going to be something that somebody's shared topically, spirit-led, but there's something different. And I know, Brother Blake, I know you have been such a man of the Word, and you've often referred to this, and, and it's been my, my witness in my life also. There's something about sitting down and deliberately working your way through Scripture. And when we do that here in teaching or in a public discourse, there's a powerful thing because you cover things and topics that you otherwise may not ever cover or ever address, and they're put in there. And uh, so this, this is a, a very healthy way to go through Scripture. And so when we come in on Wednesday night, and we open up with worship, we dismiss our children, we sit down and we're methodically going through Scripture, we may come to topics that aren't as emotionally moving as other parts of the Scripture, but it is just as powerful when you walk through it. It is reinforcing the frameworks. Uh, it is sometimes correcting uh, misperceptions that we can have and reestablishing things in our life and the Word of God does that. So I, so I enjoy, this is my favorite way to minister or to teach the Word of God is to do it what we would call expository, which just literally means verse by verse. You start here and you just walk through it and the Scripture takes the lead and we follow with what it's saying. So we're not just cherry picking what we want to talk about or what we feel or what we recognize but we're walking through Scripture. And so with that, you, you talk about things that maybe you wouldn't normally talk about. And we've done that in this, in this series because 1 Corinthians dealt with a lot of issues in the Old Testament or the New Testament church, rather the early church, uh, dealt with a lot of issues, some that weren't as maybe we would say as relevant to us. 
But in kind, 1 Corinthians addresses every major modern church problem is addressed in the book of 1 Corinthians. And so if you've missed the last few weeks, or we started our series last year, I think maybe even October, the month of October, November, when we, when we began going through here, um, <clears throat> uh, pastor taught on, on, on marriage and divorce and, and sex in marriage and outside of marriage and all these things that we wouldn't just normally say, hey, this is what we're going to talk about tonight. The scripture walks us through this. The last part that we taught was uh, week 11, part 11, and we went through chapter number 8. And chapter number 8, I have to say this probably is the first time in all the years of ministry and teaching and whatever else that I have ever uh, gone through chapter 8 and preached or taught about meat, not eating meat offered to idols. I've just never left a red-hot prayer meeting and thought, that's what I need to preach on. It hadn't been the thing to come up. But as I got in, I thought, okay, here we go. And especially, you know, it was interesting because it followed after three weeks on uh, sexuality. I'm coming in, in here on midweek preaching meat offered aisles, and I thought, man, Lord, I had their attention for three weeks, and now they're just all going to sleep on me. <laughs> but here's the powerful thing about Scripture. As I began to look at that, and we talked about it, I, I, I probably gained a, I did, I gained a new appreciation for what Paul was saying and a new understanding And I realized how relevant that chapter was. Chapter 8 is so relevant to us, even though we don't deal with that issue in our modern Western Gentile context. We don't ever deal with that issue. But the application totally fits where we're at uh, when we're dealing with people cross-culturally, when we're dealing with people at different uh, stages in their walk with God and places in their faith. And so it was so applicable, and I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed teaching chapter 8. There was, a lot, there was a lot of stuff to glean from that. So this is what the Word of the Lord has to offer for us. So tonight we're going to go to chapter 9, which if we isolate chapter 9, it is, uh, uh, it appears to be Paul making a defense of why he is an apostle and why as an apostle... Um, he is worthy of certain rights and certain liberties, but then how he didn't take those rights, but for the sake of the gospel, he was willing to sacrifice some things. If we isolate it, it's a good study in of itself, but what does this have to do with what Paul was talking previously? Because this is a letter that he's writing, and it's a conversation he's having, and it does follow a thought, a chain of thought. So we're going to get into this, and this is really good stuff, But we have to sort of set the context. So allow me to set the context, if you can, a little bit. And before we begin, I wonder if we can just bow our heads right now and just pray and ask the Holy Ghost to help us. I need the Holy Ghost to help me tonight. And I know you do too. Will you pray with me? Lord, in Jesus' name, I thank you that we can come back to your house, to a place designated for you and open up your holy word and, 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 and let your word speak into our life. I pray over these next few moments that your word, Lord, would have free course, liberty to walk through our life and in, inform us, instruct us, correct us, edify us, and build us up tonight, Lord, and let it be done. Lord, by your spirit, let the wisdom of God be 
imparted into my heart and my soul for the strengthening of your body and your church. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Amen. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. And as we begin in 1 Corinthians chapter number 9, I want to highlight, go back to chapter number 8, if you have your Bibles tonight, and flip back and look at chapter number 8, verse 1. And there's a clue here, and of course we've already covered this, but there's a clue cluing us in to what Paul is doing. And remember in the first part of the book, he opens up and he begins addressing issues that they had. And then we come to the second uh, part of the book where Paul begins to answer questions that they had written to him asking him about. And so in chapter 7, uh, they, they said, look in chapter 7, now concerning the things whereof you wrote. Okay, so he's now letting us know that he's directly answering a question. Look at it in verse 8. Chapter 8, verse 1, now as touching things offered to idols. So I'm not going to go back and rehash that chapter, but what that lets us know is that Paul is directly answering a question and a problem or an issue that they had. Now, if you missed that chapter, you go back, you can listen to it, you can watch it. Um, Part 11, chapter 8 of this series, they bring up a technical question to Paul. And this is, this is the whole thing in a nutshell. They bring up a technical question on this issue of eating to idols. Please don't let me have to go back through that. If you don't understand it, go back and watch that. It'll, it'll, it'll bless you. And Paul answers the technical question, not with a technical answer, but with a principle. And the principle that he answers them basically is this. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. Or this. Knowledge, knowledge makes you arrogant, if you will. Knowledge affects you, but love builds somebody else up. So they were coming on a technicality and they were arguing in the church. They were fighting in the church over what was right. And when they came in, they were coming and Pastor, who, who's right? Who's right? Tell us which one's right. I know I'm right. They're saying they're right. I know I'm right. And Paul said, you're missing the whole point. He said, knowledge, knowledge puffs you up. Knowledge makes you arrogant. What you know doesn't help somebody else. What you know makes you think better of yourself. He said, but love, love edifies. Love builds somebody else up. And your problem is not whether you're right or wrong. The problem is what you are letting lead you. And you're being led by your arrogance instead of being led by your love. And this was the whole point of chapter 11. This is a powerful thing. And this is why it's so relevant. Now, we're not fighting or worried about meat offered to idols. We don't live in that context, in that kind of situation in this part of the world. Now, some people may in other parts of the world. But this was the issue. And and we came out of chapter 8 learning this, and that is that uh, and, and this was the quote that I had you write down last week. And that was Christian, or last week, the last time we taught this. Christian charity restricts Christian liberty. That was the whole takeaway from chapter 8. So Paul said, look, you have a liberty to do things in Christ. There are things that it's your right, it's your liberty to do. But when you are in a certain situation... Your Christian charity, your love for somebody else 
is going to say, while it's my right to do this and it's my liberty to do this, I am not going to do this because I don't want to offend or cause a stumbling block rather. That's, that's really that old English word offend there. That's what that means. I don't want to trip somebody else up in my liberty. And so therefore my liberty is restricted by charity. Okay, so you follow along with me on that? Okay, so if you didn't get that, you can go back and you can work that out. So he goes from meat offered to idols to now he's jumping into a further part of this discussion. And and after he basically ends up chapter 8, he basically says this, if you, you have a right to be a carnivore, but if you being a carnivore offends someone else, then you ought to be willing to be a vegetarian. And that's, I, I know I wasn't going to get any help on that point right there. I know I'm, I'm just preaching all by myself on that one. But that, that in, in practical terms is literally what Paul says. He said, if, if that's what's going to, if I'm going to cause people to be tripped up, and, and by tripping them up, if somebody thinks it's a sin and they see me doing it, and they don't have knowledge and understand that it's Christian liberty and it's not a sin and that's sin, then I'm not going to do something that they think is a sin when they see me as an apostle, a brother in Christ, and spiritual authority sinning because what that will trigger to them is, well, I guess it's okay to sin. And that causes problems in their life. And so uh, until they get to that place of maturity or understanding, I will then sacrifice myself, surrender my own right for the sake of someone else. And so now Paul is going to further this argument. He's still talking in the same vein. He's still talking in the same manner. He's going to further this argument, talking about his own life, his own ministry, his own, the own way that he's worked. So these are not just topical drops that are in this letter, but there is a cohesion here. There's a, there's a, uh, a thought process, a vein in which Paul is flowing, and this is what he's relating. So now let's go to chapter number nine, and we're going to begin here at verse number one, and this is where we're at. Verse 13, wherefore if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. Praise God. Now, Chapter 9, verse 1, read. Am I, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? And are not ye my word in the Lord? All right, so Paul asks four rhetorical questions, which we know the answer to all of these is yes. And he's emphasizing the point. And so he asks these four questions. Am I not an apostle? Okay, so he's getting ready to set himself up. He's getting ready to illustrate something that's going on. So he's asking obvious questions. Absolutely, they're going to say yes. Absolutely. Because he knows when he writes back the answer, that's not the answer they were looking for. They were looking for Paul to take sides, Paul to declare who was right and who was wrong. And Paul doesn't declare it. Well, he does declare that, but he says that's sort of a mute point here in this situation. And now to illustrate it, He's going to ask things that obviously they're going to say amen to. Am I not an apostle? Of course I am. Of course, of course you are, they would say. Am I not free? Of course you're free. Am I, have I not seen the Lord uh, Jesus Christ, our Lord? Of course he has. And now this was 
a qualifying thing for them to be apostle. They had to see the Lord, be with the Lord. And of course, Paul has a unique experience on the road to Damascus that is testified by others where light shines down from heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ himself speaks to him out of heaven. It was a known thing. His testimony was very famous. He's going to allude to it later on. We'll look at it in a little bit. He says, are ye, are not ye my work in the Lord? So now he's asking, am I, not a, am I not a preacher? Am I not a minister? Are you not my converts? Now, he's, he's asking them this because the only reason why there is a church in Corinth is because Paul went there. Paul went there at the direct command of the Lord. God gave him a vision. God gave him a dream. Paul obeyed. Paul got there and said, nope, can't happen. And God came to him again and said, yes, it can happen. Stay. He stayed for a year and a half. There was a great revival and he saw the work of the Lord. So that's why he was able to say, are you not my work in the Lord? You're there because this is where I went. I planted a church. There was a great revival. Look at what he says. Read verse two. If I be not an apostle unto others, okay. yet doubtless I am to you. Okay, so maybe someone else, somewhere else in the church or in the other part of the world will say, well, he's not my apostle. Okay, maybe maybe we've never met. Maybe That's fine. All right, go on. Yet doubtless I am to you. For the seal of mine apostleship are ye in the Lord. You are the seal of my apostleship or the proof. Your conversion is the proof that I have served in the role of a minister is what, is what Paul is saying. If I wasn't a minister, if I was just a charlatan, if I was just a fake, well then how is your, are you telling me your conversion is not real? No, there's a real church, there's a real people. Your conversion, you wouldn't doubt your experience. Well, that proves that I am a minister. So he's, he's setting the groundwork. Go on, read. My answer to them that do example, examine me is this. All right, so now note here he highlights that there are those that are contesting him. And there were those that were contesting him. One of the reasons why was because Paul had already said, when I came, I worked with my own hands, and I was not a burden to you. And some of them said, well, uh, you are... Sorry, I heard myself speaking there for a moment. It threw me off. <laughs> you, um, where was I at? It totally messed me up. <laughs> so he, he hadn't taken any money from the church, and because of that, they were, some were saying, well, aha, see, he's, he's not a real apostle. If he was a real apostle, he would be taking money from the church. But since he didn't, he must not be a real apostle. And so Paul is coming back, and he's contesting them. He's contesting them. He's, he's, he's standing up for himself a little bit. Now... He is going to give three, the next three verses, he's going to give three rights and liberties of the ministry or apostles, if you will. After he said, look, I'm a proof of apostle. Now he's going to give three rights or liberties, all of which Paul has sacrificed and yielded for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the kingdom. Read on. Have we not power to eat and to drink? Have we not power to eat and to drink? All right. Have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles, and as the brethren of the Lord and Cephas? All right. Or I only and Barnabas have not we power to forbear working? Okay, so now this is an interesting thing that Paul is doing here. He threw in three questions here, and I know we read that in the old KJV, uh, old English there. 
He says, look, am I not an apostle? Of course I'm an apostle. You're the proof of my ministry. You're the proof of, 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 of this. And as an apostle, do I am free. Do I not have rights and liberties? As an apostle, can, can I not eat and drink? Yes, I can eat and drink. Now, why is that significant? Well, they've just been talking about you know, meat offered to idols, what you can eat, what you can't eat. So, so yes, I have a liberty. I, I am fully given to God. And, you know, we talked about this in, in the last part. God, God does, you are not more spiritual because you are on this diet. You're not less spiritual because you're not on this diet or because you eat that or because you eat whatever. Paul had already established that. He said, look, do I not have this liberty to eat? Then he says, this is an interesting thing. Do I not have the right or the liberty to be married to a believing wife. Now, he just wrote about this. We had just went through all of this. Do I not have then that right if I have the right to be married to a believing wife and God calls me to a, a, a ministry of being an apostle, of traveling around, of starting churches, of, of moving? Do I not then have right to bring my believing wife along with me? This is what Paul is saying. Nobody would say, okay, of course not. And then he asks this third question. He says, uh, uh, and, and to endorse the fact that he had a right to be married to a believing wife and to bring that believing life, wife along with him, he said, do I not have a right to bring a sister, a wife, as well as the other apostles? Who's he talking about? Jesus, his brethren, as the brethren of our Lord, and Cephas. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Peter. Well, we know, we know they were married. This is what Paul is testifying. Look, they're married. They travel. The apostle Peter's married. He has a believing wife. He, he has the freedom. I ought to have that same right. What, what would be withheld for me? I would have that same right to do that as well. And then he says, or I only am Barnabas. Or is it just Barnabas and I that are excluded and we are sort of sub-apostles, and we're kept from all these things, and, and we don't have the right to also forbear working. What does he mean there? He's talking about, he says, does that mean that we then also have a, a must work, what we would use in our terminology today, a secular job as well? Or do we have a right as a ministry if we are working day in, day and night of the kingdom of God? Are we, do we not have a right to forbear that ministry or, or the secular job for the sake of focusing on the ministry like others? And so now he is illustrating, if you will, things that are to be easily understood even in the Corinthian church. So nobody would argue with these points. I mean, there's always one. There's always someone that's going to argue with these points. You get what I'm saying. But when Paul's making this statement, he's using things that would be easily understood in the church. Of course, of course, you have a right to eat and drink whatever you want. Of course, you have a right to be married to a believing wife within quality. Of course, if God calls you into the ministry, God, of course, your family would travel with you. If God, if God puts a call on you and you're going to go somewhere else, like, like we just had our missionaries here, um, a few weeks ago, the Wickets, they were pastoring a successful church in Prince Edward Island in the Atlantic District time zone uh, uh, east of New Brunswick. Beautiful place. They, they, were, they were seeing great revival. God was doing great things. 
They were um, starting other churches. They had been a part of other church plants. They had, uh, they had in their family, they had their own bed and breakfast on PEI as their own personal, like, like this is awesome. I had an invitation to go. We never took that invitation. I could regret that. I regret that. And then while they're there, God calls them to the Fijian Islands all the way around the other world, other side of the world. So do we expect him to leave his children and his wife to go fulfill the... No, no. So we, we see that if God called them, yes, they have a right. They're going to go as a family. So when we support them, we don't, we don't begrudge them and say, well, you know, you, you, you're costing us more because you got a family and all that. No, 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 no. They have a right to go ministry. We also know uh, there's going to be a blessing uh, because two are better than one. And uh, they got five in, the, in their, in their, in their uh, package there. When they go over there, uh, believers and, and Christians, that's a blessing there. So, of course, these are things that are right. And then would we expect, would they expect the apostle Peter who daily is dealing with all these issues in the church from around the world, would we expect him to have to go clock in, you know, uh, a nine to five when we, no, we have too many needs. We need him to, to pay attention to this. And so Paul is bringing these obvious, obvious issues. Of course, what is he doing? He's, he's setting it up. He's allowing them to see his rights and his liberties as an apostle. So let's read on. Who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges? Or who planteth a vineyard, and eateth not of the fruit thereof? Or who feedeth a flock, and eateth not the milk of the flock? All right, so here now he gave three examples of the rights and liberties, and now he gives us, if you will, three examples of why ministers should live, as we would say, of the gospel. Live of the gospel. He's giving an example. Yes, we have a right to eat and drink. Yes, we have a right to... To be, to be married and to have a family. And if, if the Lord calls us to travel with our family, yes, we have a right to forbear working, to leave our secular job, to go and to be ministers, to serve the kingdom of God, to make that our number one endeavor. And then now he gives three examples. He says, who among us would expect somebody to go to war at their own expense? No one would do that. When a young man signs up or a young woman signs up and says, hey, we're going to serve our country, you don't say, okay, well, you, you've got to bring all of your money and you've got to invest and you've got to pay for all this. And you got No, no, okay. The community of who they are defending, of who they are, are protecting, says, hey, look, thank you, because you are there, I'm able to be here. And so we willingly, we willingly support. I mean, we have so many military in this, in this church. You understand that, that it is a wonderful thing. Amen. It's a right thing. We ought not ever expect someone to put themselves in harm's way at their own expense. And we reap the benefits of something. You have to understand that freedom is not free. Somebody paid a price for what you have. And so it is not wrong for us then to take care of those. Amen. To take care of those who have, who have suffered at that expense. So who goes to war at any time in his own charge? Who's planting a vineyard and is not going to eat their fruit thereof? Who's planting tree arbors? And when they're going through and they're checking out the health of the trees and they're pruning, and you, you're going to get upset because they pick an apple off and they're going to taste of the apple? 
No, no. I mean, that's, that's part of it. The person that's tending the flock, they're, they're not going to drink the milk that they are taking. You're, you're not going to let them have a glass of milk out of all of this stuff, that they, all the work that they're doing? Of course, no. In fact, they are the first partakers. They're the first partakers. All right, so go on. Say I these things as a man. He's asking the question, is this my opinion? Are you thinking this is just my opinion? Go on. Or saith not the law the same also? No, this isn't my opinion. I'm getting this opinion. I'm getting this, this understanding from the very law of God. Now he gives his case. Go on. For it is written in the law of Moses, Yes. Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn, Doth God take care for oxen? Aha, all right. So there is this Levitical law. What is it? For it is written, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox. This is 9 and 9. This is Deuteronomy 25 and 4. You can go there on your own. Deuteronomy 25 and 4. Set the, it's a law that's put in there. When the ox is treading out the corn, don't muzzle his mouth. He's not going to eat all the corn up, but he's going to eat some of the corn. It's going to be a motivation for him to keep treading the corn. Let him eat the corn. He's doing the work. You're getting to stand by there. It'd be better for you to use the ox. Let him eat a little bit of corn. You're going to benefit more than if the ox says, no, I ain't doing it, and walks away, and now you've got to tread out the corn. <laughs> but then Paul asked a question. He said, this is a principle that's in the law that's given there. But then he asked the question, and this is the interesting thing. He said, doth God take care for the oxen? What's his point? He's saying, when you... Go back and look at that Deuteronomic law. God was not putting that law in there because God was worried about the ox. He was putting that law in there as a principle for you to understand, to be able to apply to the rest of the life, of your life. God isn't just caring for the ox. Read on. Or saith he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes. Did he say this for the oxen? If he wrote it in the Deuteronomic law for the oxen, well, he left the camels out. He left the, we got to go through the list of all the other animals he left out. No, God was giving us a principle to apply. Now, why is this relevant? Because they're hung up on a technicality and they're not catching the principle. And so Paul goes back to an Old Testament principle and again says, look, your problem is you keep getting hung up on the technicality and you're not catching the principle. God didn't put that in there in the law for the ox's sake. He said he put it in there for our sakes. Yeah. For us to be able to understand and to be able to apply broadly. Read on. For our sakes, no doubt. No doubt. This is written. Yes. That he that ploweth should plow in hope. Plow in hope. Praise God. And that he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. All right. So, I mean, how miserable would it be if you're setting out to do something with no hope? You're doing something and you're thinking, man, this is going to be great. This is going to really be great. And putting in the effort, especially when you're talking about farm, garden. You don't just go out there. This is not microwave uh, psychology. Like you don't plant a seed. You don't tend a vineyard and know, uh, oh, tomorrow I'm going to be able to go out and no, you, there's weeks, there's months involved, there's time, 
It, it takes long suffering. It takes diligence. It takes patience. It takes waiting. It takes waiting. And if you take hope out of the picture, you're taking away all the motivation. And so, of course, he said, this is a principle God put in. So when you plow, you plow with hope. Hey, hey, this is going to be a great blessing to somebody. And oh, by the way, I'm going to get a taste of this too. All right, go on. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, yes. is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? Okay, so now he's making the, making the connection here. Now, if I am the apostle, and if I am a preacher, and if I am a minister of the gospel, and if I have brought to you truth which has set you free, if you now have been converted and you're carrying this tremendous testimony, if we have sown in spiritual things, is it a horrible thing if we then reap carnal things? If I have brought a truth that changed your life, is it that horrible that, that it had to displace somebody, that somebody had to house me for a night? Was it that awful that somebody had to set an extra spot at the table to feed me for a meal? That's literally what Paul is saying. All right. So here we go. Let's read on. If others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? Okay, so now he's getting to the place. He's saying, okay, now Paul, Paul at this point has left. He's no longer in Corinth. They're writing to him. They're arguing to him. Some are saying, oh, we're, we're of Paul. Others are saying, no, we're, we're of Apollos. And others are saying, oh, we're of Jesus. And we don't even, you know, Paul, they were converted after Paul's gone. And he says, look, there, there are ministers right now that are there. There are ministers elsewhere that are partakers of the things uh, uh, that are living of the gospel. If they, if any minister is able to do that and you don't think it's wrong, well, then how much more would it have been us or I, he's saying, who came at the vision and calling of God into a wicked city and labored to start a work there in this place? Read on. Nevertheless, nevertheless, we have not used this power. We have not used this power, yes. But suffer all things. All right. Lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Okay, so he's saying, look, now, now we're getting to the point of what he's saying. Remember what was the point of chapter 8? Chapter 8 was Christian charity restricts Christian liberty or displaces Christian liberty, or affects Christian liberty. And so Paul is saying, look, even though I had the right and I had the liberty, when I came to you, I did not use it for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I chose to suffer. I chose to work with my own hands. I chose to do this for the sake of the kingdom of God. Now, Paul goes through an ardent defense of why he ought to be, uh, why he is not wrong to take means, monetary, financial support from the church and from converts. But then he turns around and says, but even though I have that right and that liberty, I also have the freedom to sacrifice that right and that liberty. Now, this is a powerful, powerful thing, amen, that we must get. Are you with me tonight? Yeah. Everybody still here? Yeah. Okay, so let's read on. Do you not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple? Okay, go on. And they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar? So Paul is now using the Old Testament 
if you will, the Old Testament type and the model of those that serve at the temple, those being Levites. Okay, so Leviticus, Numbers, you can go back and you can find the express examples, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 18, Numbers chapter 8. Um, you're going to see these examples of Old Testament uh, provision for the ministry. And Paul says that this is a model for us today. What was that Old Testament example? Does anybody know what that Old Testament example was? It was the example, the principle of tithing. And that tithing principle, they would tithe on their crops, they would tithe on their livestock, they would tithe on certain things. And the priest, the Levites, were able to live off the substance of that. Now there was a caveat, and the caveat was this, that when a priest dedicated them, when a Levite who was dedicated and separated unto the Lord, the Levite had no property in Israel. They were given spaces to live, but they did not own or possess property like the other tribes did. But they were not allowed, uh, they were not uh, designed or ordained to work in those other ways, but they were ordained to work of the giving of the people. And that was something God intended. He said, look, you are not to be about, your focus is not to be about possession and amassing wealth and building territories. Your focus is to be on the people, the health of the people. And your benefit, your blessing all comes from the offerings that are giving in worship to God at the temple. And, and, and through the Lord. And so it was a natural motivation that God put in. Who wanted revival more than anybody else? The Levites. Why? Because their whole substance was connected to that. They didn't have land to fall back on. They didn't have property to fall back on. That was for everybody else. But you are totally tied to this. And man, if there was blessing and there was revival, well then... You, you, you go on, and that's a great thing. You want, uh, um, and so that was sort of how God had that design. And so this is the analogy of what Paul is saying. He's saying, look, he said, know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple. That's where it comes from, because that was their focus. Their focus was to be on the spiritual health. Go on, read. Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. All right, so now Paul is making a big connection and a bold statement here. He literally is uh, uh, referencing the Old Testament practice of tithing, and then Paul says, even so hath the Lord ordained they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. So if somebody's given a calling and that's their calling is to go into minister, minister, minister of the gospel, minister of the gospel, preach the gospel, then they ought to be willing to live of the substance of the gospel, of the offerings, of the things that are given in. And in the New Testament church, we know that they had all things common. They would give their offerings and they would bless and they would be a blessing. So Paul makes this direct distinction here between Old Testament model practices of tithing, which we understand, you know, was an old... Uh, different uh, 
what's the word I'm saying, e eco economic system and structure than we have today. And he says, but in the same manner, so what preachers to live of the gospel. And he says this, even the Lord hath ordained that. Who's the Lord? Well, Jesus Christ. He ordained it. When did he ordain it? Well, I'm glad you asked. Matthew chapter number 10, Luke chapter number 10. And you can go there and you can look. In both of those places, the Lord tells the disciple, he says, go out. And when you go, he said, don't worry about it. You just take what, what coat you have. You take what shoes you have. And when you come into a house, they're, if, you, if they receive you, they'll sit down and they'll bless you. He said, don't you worry about it. Don't you take up things. Don't you feel like you have to take up a year's worth of supply of provisions. As you go, as you are a blessing and convert other people, they will bless you. And he literally ordained. He says, as you serve and give to them, they will give back to you and they will bless you. Food and shelter and, and, and those substances. So the Lord ordained that. So Paul is, again, building a strong defense that it is not an abuse of a minister to live of the gospel. Okay? Now, there are some certain practices that because their faith traditions come out of certain cultures where they saw such abuses. You, you go to Europe. Europe has had so many spiritual abuses over its history when you study it. My goodness. Um, church, the church, so-called so -called church, political, kingmakers, uh, it's, it's so complicated. There's, it's no wonder that people hate the church. If you just go back and study the history of it, now they're going to have to give an account because just because man gets it wrong doesn't mean God's wrong. And uh, but you know you go to uh, uh, Germany and they can't stand it because they are required by law. Every citizen of Germany is required by law to pay a, a tax to the church. Seven percent. It's not a full tithe, but seven percent. You don't get an option. Seven percent. The only thing you get to choose is whether it goes to the Catholic Church or whether it goes to the Protestant Church. And most of them don't go to church at all. And they, they, they hate that because I'm paying for something I don't even want to pay for. And so their attitude is such that they don't, they don't, they don't have, a, they have a disdain for it. You go to France and no, because, because politics and corruption was so bad in the church, when the French Revolution took place, one thing the people did, by the way, they're rebuilding Notre Dame and at the, and the facade of Notre Dame, there's these life-size statues surrounding that. During the French Revolution, and you know now they're rebuilding Notre Dame, but burned down in a fire, and they're taking great measure to rebuild it. You know the French haven't always cared about that place. And during the French Revolution, they went and they looted the place. They stole, they took every single statue off of the face of Notre Dame, and they decapitated them. And to this day, no church, period, in the nation of France owns the property it's built on. They revoked all property rights of every church because the people saw how politically and how messed up they were. And so they rejected that. And so it still holds over to today. And so there's some people who say, well, there's, there's whole traditions and cultures and groups of people, even some that have, have migrated over and retained their cultural heritage to a certain extent in America and meet where they don't have a pastor. We will not have a pastor. We will just meet house to house. We will just have believers and there will be no one over us and no one will take take this because they've seen abuses. And so this was sort of the argument here. Well, this is a good passage of Scripture here where it says, no, this is not right. Everyone needs a pastor. Everybody needs a preacher. We thank God for that. Just because there's bad ones, just because there's some that's wrong, doesn't mean it's all bad. And so what Paul is saying here is, look, I have a right. There's a liberty. This is the liberty and the ministry, the right of ministers to do this. But read on. Look at what he says in verse 15. 
But I have used none of these things. Right? Neither have I written these things. Yes. That it should be so done unto me. For it were better for me to die than that any man should make my glorying void. Here's what Paul was saying. He was saying that I didn't take any compensation from you. Why? So that so that I would not glory in this, but only God would glory. And Paul said, I would prefer death rather than somebody think that I am just in this for the money. So Paul makes this great defense of why he has a right and he has a liberty. But then he says, but when God called me to materialistic Corinth, I wanted to prove to you that it's not about materialism. Because if you convert and all you do is you bring your materialistic idea from the world and bring it into the church, well, now we just got a converted materialist. You're still, you're still the same thing. He said, but I wanted God to get the glory. This isn't about me. This is about the Lord. Read on. For though I preach the gospel, All right. I have nothing to glory of. I have nothing to glory of. All right? Necessity is laid upon me. For necessity is laid upon me. I have to preach the gospel, yes? Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. I am not preaching the gospel. Yes, I may live of the gospel, but I'm not preaching the gospel for financial gain. I don't have a choice to preach the gospel. The call of God is upon my life. He saved me. This is my conviction. I must preach the gospel. Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. So Paul is saying, look, I'm going to preach the gospel whether I get paid or not. This isn't about that. What's his point? What's his underlying point here? His underlying point is this. Just because I have a right doesn't mean that it's expedient for me to make a demand. And what was happening in the Corinthian church was they were getting hung up on technicalities and they were making demands. Now, this is nothing new and it's nothing, it's, it's, it's nothing that's going away because we are all human and we all, how many of us in here, we come to God and we fuss and we whine, we kneel down and pray and we bring sometimes our prayer requests to God aren't requests, they're demands. Well, bless God, this is the way I, God, this is the way I see it. It ought to be that. And what Paul is saying is, look, it's Christian. Christians have rights and liberties, but it, it, it flies in the face of the spirit of Christianity to make a demand for your right. And this is where the American church has a big problem because the DNA of our, the fabric of our nation is built upon our rights and our liberties. And it's ingrained in our culture. This is my right. Nobody's going to take it from me. Nobody can force me. This is my right. And we make our demands. And what Paul is saying, yes, but there is Christian charity that restricts your Christian liberties. And so just because we have rights and liberties doesn't mean that we should make the demand. So go on, read on. For if I do this thing willingly. For if I do this thing willingly, I, 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 that meaning without pay, without compensation, I'm doing this of my own accord. Nobody's forcing me to do this. I'm choosing to do this. I have a reward. I have a reward. 
But if against my will, all right, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. Okay, so, uh, uh, and then go on. What, what is, what's the next verse? Because this goes together. What is my reward then? Yes. Verily that. When I preach the gospel, yes. I may make the gospel of Christ without charge that I abuse not my power in the gospel. Okay, so what's Paul saying? He's saying, look, when I do this thing willingly, when I come down, yes, I have a right. Yes, I have a, a liberty to do this. This is a freedom. I, I shouldn't. He said, but when I do this thing willingly, when I give willingly and come down and preach the gospel, he said, I have a reward because I know for me, when I do something free, I know that I am not doing it with any human fleshly motivation. I am doing it because I want to see the gospel of Jesus Christ furthered. And there's a reward in that. There is a blessing there for me. How many know it's more blessed to give than receive? And that principle is true. And, and, and a taker will never understand that principle. But when you give, when you know, wow, there's glory in God, there is a blessing when you are a part of the work of the kingdom of God and you see God gets the glory and you don't get the glory, there is a blessing, there's a reward in that that no one can take away from you. And he says, but if I do this willingly, I'm commissioned, I'm, I'm compelled, Christ has commanded me and I can't get away from that. He said, well, then I am discharging my trust. I am I am uh, uh, I am relinquishing the trust that is put into me. And he says, so verily, when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge that I abuse not my power in the gospel. Now, here's an interesting thing to note, that while Paul goes on a strong defense of a minister's right and liberty to live of the gospel, his one of his foremost warnings to ministry repeatedly everywhere he writes to the minister, if a man has a desire, office of a bishop, if a man wants to be an elder, if a man wants to be a, a, a deacon, one of the biggest prohibitions he says, he cannot be greedy of filthy lucre. So you cannot have, you better have this money, this greed issue. You better have all of this settled. And you don't walk into a place in the kingdom of God and say, okay, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do this. And you got to pay me such and such and such and such and thing. At some point you want to ask, okay, are you called to do this? Did God send you? Who's calling you? You know? Hello? Amen. Are we still awake? Are we okay? All right, somebody says good preaching. Amen. And I got to hasten on. The children are coming out. Go on. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I may gain the more. So Paul is not, Paul as a preacher is not demanding his due. He's establishing that the gospel is more important. And I'm, I'm running out of time here tonight. And... He, he is saying, I will sacrifice my spiritual liberties for your spiritual benefit. I will sacrifice my liberty for your spiritual benefit. This is in the same vein as what he said in chapter 8. Christian charity restricts my liberties. And now he's going to make the final case. He says, look, I am free. I am absolutely free. And this is an incredible nod back to his conversion. For though I be free from all men... Man, I don't want to skip over this. This is so good. In Acts chapter 26, Paul is brought before King Agrippa, and he's asked to give an account of his testimony. He's been, he's been bound. He's, he's gone along the way, told several different people. And he comes before Agrippa, and he gives Agrippa the account of his conversion. And when he 
says in Acts 26 and 17, he references a phrase. He said, when the Lord spoke to me, he said, God called me. I have much purpose. I have, I have purpose for you. And he said that the Lord, before he could, before he could send me out to people to use me as an apostle, the Lord said this. And if you can put Acts 26 and 17 up there, this is the word of the Lord. And God said this to Paul, said to Paul, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee. I used to preach a message a lot at youth camps and youth meetings called the bondage of people. And the concept was this, that was Paul was so eaten up with other people's ideas that what his biggest motivator, his biggest thing that he was bound to was what other people thought. And that drove him to be a a rally of people uh, uh, for persecution. And Paul would go out. And when God shines the light down to him and calls, calls him, God tells Paul, he says, Paul, I am going to deliver you from the people. You are so bound by what they think. You are so bound by them. I am going to deliver you from the people and from the Gentiles. I'm going to deliver you from their, the effect, the hatreds, all of the things that you have, all of that that pride. And he said, and then I'm going to send you to the people. So now this is an interesting thing because now Paul is writing to the Corinthian church and he says, though I be free, I'm free from all people. I'm free. Christ set me free. I'm not under the bondage anymore of what somebody else thinks or somebody else's imposition of what I ought to be or what this means. I have been totally liberated. And I'm going to tell you, when you are redeemed, when you are saved, when you are repentant, baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, it sets you free. When you're buried in the water of baptisms, not only are all of your sins buried, but every sin that's been committed unto you is remitted. It's washed away. Anybody else's thoughts of you, whatever, that is all God sets you free. He that the Son has set free is free indeed. And Paul says, I have been released from the hold that the world had on me. I have been released. I am absolutely free. But though I be free from all men, he said, yet I make myself a servant. Wow. Think about this. Paul is testifying of his conversion. I have been set free from everyone else. And I can live the rest of my life saying, it doesn't matter. doesn't matter what they think. I'm going to be who I am. I'm going to be who I am in Christ. Bless God. Nobody's going to tell me what. But Paul says, but I was driven by my passion and I was driven by my calling. To step down, not this time in a bondage and a slave where I didn't have an option, but to willingly step down and become a servant to the people that Christ wanted to reach. And so now Paul, previously he didn't have a choice. He didn't have any other option. He was bound by what people thought. But now Paul willingly says, I became things I didn't want to become. In my own right, I yielded up my right and I gave up my liberty. I sacrificed what I had so that somebody else could have something else. Read on. Look at what he says. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew. I became as a Jew. That I might gain the Jews. That I might gain the Jews. 
to them that are under the law, yes, the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. Paul clearly has said, I'm not under the law. Christ set me free from that. But I willingly said, okay, even though I don't have to do this, I'm going to do things I don't have to do just so that I can reach people that God wants me to reach. You see, we get, we get it so wrong when we walk in with our stinking spirit and say, I have a right to do this. Nobody can tell me what to do. And I can do this. And bless God, this is the day and age in which I live. I ought to be able to do this. And Paul says, you're missing the whole point. And so he brings himself unto subjection. Amen. Read on. To them that are without the law, as without the law. As without the law, I, I was to them, but, but, but not without the law to God. He said, I didn't, I didn't go against my convictions. I, 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 to those that were without the law, he said, I, I became like them, but I did not compromise. Catch that. I did not compromise. My convictions, read on. Being not without the law to God, but under the law to Christ. Yes. That I might gain them that are without law. Yes. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this do I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Paul said, I stooped down to be weak. I stooped down to be weak. I didn't have to be weak, but I became as the weak. I willingly gave up my Christian rights and liberties in certain situations, in certain circumstances, that I could win somebody else. All right? Know ye not that they which run in a race run all? Yes. But one receiveth the prize? Yes. So run that ye may obtain. Paul is, is making reference here to the Isthmus Games, which was a, there were, there were the Olymp, Olympic Games, we know that held in Olympia, and the Isthmus Games, which were held right there in Corinth. They were, they were, everybody knew about these games. Athletics was a huge thing there. And he is making a direct reference here. These people that run, they don't run so they lose. They're running trying to win. They're running to obtain. They're setting forth an effort here. They're setting forth a goal. Look, read on. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Every man that striveth for the person that's going, what do they do? He says when they have an object and a goal in mind, they willingly become temperate. What is that? They have self-control. They self-impose restrictions on them. They put a discipline on their life that otherwise they would not have so that they can achieve a goal. The person going to the gym every week, trying to keep pushing all that weight, kept picking up things. Is that, is that fun? Is that what? No, they're trying to get to a goal. The person that gets up early every morning, do they just enjoy doing that and running around? No, they're trying to be able to win a marathon. They put restrictions and disciplines on themselves. They sacrifice. They give up something here so they can gain something there. He said, but what's happening in the church is people are saying, no, this is my right, this is my freedom, and you're never willing to give anything up for the cause of the kingdom of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's going to be times where it's your right to eat something, to have something, to do something, to go somewhere, but for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of another, you have to yield that. Read on. 
Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. They do it to obtain, yes. But we an incorruptible. We an incorruptible. Their crown is a wreath that they put on their head. At the end, it's a green wreath they put on their head. And guess what? They take that home, they hang it on the wall, it withers, it dies, it dries out, it fades. It doesn't exist today. But when you give up something in the kingdom of God, that's not something that's perishable. That, that's not something, no, that's laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust doth not corrupt, where thieves don't break in and steal. Go on. I therefore so run. I so run. Not as uncertainly. Yes. So fight I. Yes. Not as one that beateth the air. Now he goes from running a race to a air, uh, uh, somebody boxing. But I keep under my body. Yes. And bring it unto subje into subjection. Yes. Lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Amen. Stand together with me. Paul is saying this. Look, I, I give up things in my life because I'm not going to preach and convert other people. But then if I'm always demanding my liberties... Always being a glutton after own things, I lose my own. I lose my own life. I myself be a castaway. Perhaps he was talking about sexual immorality, restraints. What were the things that he gave up? He said, "I willingly change what I eat and drink for the sake of the gospel." Paul said, "I have a right to have a believing wife, but I don't because I'm traveling around. I have a right to have a believing wife and travel with her, but I don't." I have a right to take from the church without working a, a secular job, but there are times when I do work a secular job so that I'm not a burden on somebody there so they don't stumble on that. They can focus on their spiritual progress. They'll catch up with that later on. Paul says, look, I'm not coming back demanding back pay. I did it for the glory of God. I'm not worried about that. Amen. Aren't you thankful for the Word of God? And the takeaway of all of this, if we would take away from all of this, is yes, and Paul was just using himself as an example. Yes, you have rights and you have liberties in the, in the faith, in the church. But just because you have a right and a liberty does not mean that you making a demand is the Christian thing to do. Christians have rights and liberties, but Christians don't demand those rights and liberties. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for your spirit today. Thank you for the way that you've blessed us. And I pray, God, that your word in, in its own powerful way, God, would make its way through our mind and through our heart. I pray you build up and strengthen and edify. And you know every situation that's here tonight. You know every need, every life situation, every home circumstance. And I pray, God, that we would learn to walk in the confidence and the faith that we have in you and the rights and the liberties that you've given to us. I pray, God, that we would not come to you with demands or to others and stand before others with demands, but, God, that, that there would be a spirit of charity. Charity would restrain our liberties for the sake and the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, in Jesus' name.